Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. Hello there, I'm Devin Wilkins, founder and president of COTRA, the Canadian Old-Time Radio Alliance, and I'm itching to share three shows with you tonight, so let's get right to it. The first is The Adventures of Danny Marsden. I have no date on this, but the title is Triangle of Plenty. Hello there, I'm Danny Marsden. Murder's been my beat for a long time here at the Mid-City Sentinel. It was exciting stuff, and I loved it. I used to think there was nothing more exciting under the sun. And then, not long ago, the chief called me into his office. Danny, I'm taking you off the murder beat. I've got bigger work for you to do. Murder is sensational stuff, but it's pretty unimportant compared to the big things that affect everyone's lives every day. Don't you agree? Well, I argued, of course, but my chief is quite a persuasive guy. And now, most every week when I come to my desk... I find my assignment scrawled in the chief's handwriting. And when the boss starts writing notes, he really means business. Well, maybe one reason I like the new job is the fact that the boss gave me a full-time assistant. And as an assistant, Nellie McCoy's the real McCoy. Uh, Nellie, what's the missive from the master today? The chief that is fluent best in this one, Danny. Kind of long. Reads like one of his editorials. No, let's hear it. Well, he starts out... The Mid-City Sentinel has pointed out many times that the Canadian worker is better off than workers in other parts of the world. But that's not good enough. He wants to be even better off, and I don't blame him. But the worker isn't the only one who wants a better deal. I'd like a raise myself, and so would you, eh, Danny? Well, the boss might think that's a joke now, but he's uttering words of wisdom. Let me finish. The stockholders in the Sentinel would like more profits, too. Everybody wants more, and that's legitimate enough. And that, Danny, is your assignment. I want you to look at every angle of this triangle. Labor, consumer, investor, and in the center, management. And I want you to come up with the answer everyone is looking for. How do we create more prosperity and more happiness for them all? Oh, gee, Danny, he's not asking much, is he? How do we create more prosperity and more happiness for them all? Now, I don't know the answer yet, but if you and I can find it, I've already got the headlines figured out. Hadn't you better wait until we find the answer? It looks like a tough one to me. Oh, we'll have a two-column spread in heavy type. We'll call it uh, the Triangle of Plenty. And, and under that will be my byline, and then in slightly smaller letters, research by Nellie McCoy. Research by me? Danny, I don't know anything about research. No, research, honey, is just another word for asking questions. And that makes you a research expert. I want you to haunt the stores and find out what the shoppers, that's the consumers in the chief's high phone language, are saying. I'll cover labor and management. There's nothing I'd like better. I can try on a few hats. Oh, that's a woman for you. The world's looking for an answer to its problem, and you want to try on hats. Oh, Floorwalker, I'm Nellie McCoy of the Mid-City Sentinel, 
We're doing an article about shoppers. Can you tell me what's going on over at that counter where all the women are milling around? Mayhem, madam. Mayhem. That's what's going on. We advertise a shipment of high-grade hosiery at 90 cents a pair, and nine out of ten women will commit murder to get a pair of them for herself. Gee, I don't blame them. That's a big saving. Out of my way. Oh, just a minute, miss. I thought you were here to write an article. Phew, what a beautiful flying tackle. And such a ladylike-looking girl, too. Buddy, uh, I'm Danny Marsden from the Mid-City Sentinel. Uh, how long have you been on this picket line? Too long, mister. Uh, look, uh, uh, can you slip away for a cup of coffee at Jones? Well, uh, sure. Yeah, sure thing. Hey, hey, Bill. Bill. Well, that's the way it is, Mr. Marsden. Well, call me Danny. There just doesn't seem to be any answer. I get a buck an hour in the plant picking hosiery, see? Management says that because of competition, our prices can't be raised. And I'm getting all that the business can pay. The stockholders are getting nothing. Up until a month ago, the plant was just carrying on, hoping for a break. And management was stalling off the directors and the stockholders. Yeah? Well, then what? Well, another plant started underselling us with a line of equal quality. Well, that puts your plant in quite a spot. Sure. The directors have been chasing the manager, and the foreman put the heat on us right down the line. And the whole thing happened just when our union put in its bid for a wage increase. The boss said he couldn't pay it. And here we are, on the picket line. Well, you don't think there's going to be trouble, huh? No, I don't think you'll get any kind of a story of that kind, Danny. We got a leaflet from the boss yesterday. He's been burning the midnight oil, he said. Says if we'll go back to work at the old rate tomorrow, he thinks he's worked out an answer that'll be satisfactory to everyone. The committee's meeting tonight, and the rumor is we'll be back in the shop tomorrow and see what comes up. Are you optimistic? A little bit. I want that raise, and... I kind of think it'll come. Oh, but isn't that a tough problem for management? Oh, it's got to pull three rabbits out of a hat. More for you and more for the stockholders and, and cheaper hosiery for the shoppers. I still think it's worth going in there and pitching. I'm willing to give management a crack at it, Denny. Good luck to you. Well, Nelly, we've made a start on this thing anyway. Hey, what happened to you? Never mind me, Danny. Just say I got roughed up in some research. Well, you look like you've been run over by a steamroller. It was much worse than that. But look at these stockings I picked up for 90 cents. There's a guy I know wouldn't think too much of that. Now, let's see. So far, I've found that a factory which is making no profit is a, is a pretty dismal place. Without profit, the worker gets no increase in pay. Without profit, the stockholders get no dividends. When there's no profit, the poor old manager is being chased from every corner. The workers want increases he can't give them. Investors want some return their money, which you can't give them. Well, what did you find out in your corner, Nellie? What's the consumer's problem? I ran into a few of those consumers, Danny, but hard. Let me put it this way. Shoppers, especially the female of the species, are absolutely heartless. They're strictly for bigger packages at lower prices than let the chips fall where they may. And they'll switch their trade overnight to the nearest competitor to save a nickel. Okay. And I've got another research job for you. Danny... Even for you, I don't like to risk my life. Oh, Nellie, this time you're going to research the other side of the picture. I want you to go and talk to an investor. Now, this is Jean Rinaldi, 42 West Orchard Street. She's a widow. Has 500 shares of stock in a hosiery company I'm interested in. 
Well, that and the small annuity is, is all her husband left her when he died a couple of years back. Couldn't I get away from stockings this time, Danny? Now, remember, kid, it's going to look good in print. Research by Nellie McCoy. I'd rather go dancing at the Ritz. And when you get to see Mrs. Rinaldi, take these stockings along, won't you? I think she'll be interested. Yes, that's right, Miss McCoy. Look at them. 500 shares. Nearly everything poor Joe had. And they're just paper. Just paper. Why don't you sell them? Sell them? Who'll buy part of a factory that's making no profit? Who'll buy part of a factory when the men ain't even working? They're on strike. They only want more money, Mrs. Rinaldi. After all, I want some money, too. Land sakes, I don't know what I'm going to live on. I wrote the manager, but what does he tell me? No one's buying our hosiery. That's a fine thing. Uh, speaking of hosiery, Mrs. Rinaldi, um, look at these. I got them for 90 cents. For 90 cents? Let me see them. What store? Do you think they'd have any left? Maybe the phone for a pair, COD. Now, I have a few more questions. After, after. You'll excuse me just for one minute. I want to use the phone. What story? Now, Mr. Johnson, uh, I'm a reporter from the Mid-City Sentinel. I've been covering the story of the strike. Any comments? The strike is over. An hour ago, I persuaded the workers to go back to the job tomorrow morning. I think I have a solution that will satisfy all concerned. Oh, brother, if you have, you're a magician. How can you raise pay and make profits and give the customers better hosiery at a lower price? If you can tell me that, you'll have given me all I need to complete the story. The answer to our problem has to come in two ways. First, a willingness on the part of the workers to produce more and better goods per man hour. Second, a willingness on the part of investors to put more money and more equipment into the plant. I've been able to convince our directors that the men who work in this plant are good, skilled workmen who will do their best to help us make profits now that they understand the problem. Within a month, because of new additional equipment and a new understanding of the problem, our plant capacity will be greatly increased and our unit cost will be considerably lower. The result will be that uh, we can sell our product at a lower price, thus meeting competition. And by placing our goods within the reach of more people, we increase our sales. We can afford to pay higher wages and we'll still have enough to give the investor a fair return on the money he or she risked. Wait a minute. That sounds like magic money. <laughs> Malcolm, there's nothing magic about it. That's exactly the way our free enterprise economy has been able to constantly increase the workers' wages and at the same time produce more and better goods at lower prices. It's the only way the standard of living in any country can be increased. In other words, in order to get more dollars into the triangle... You've got to get more hosiery into it. Exactly. The funny thing is that you're all after the same thing, a better living. Why is there so much fighting and so much distrust? You all seem like decent, reliable, worthwhile people, if you don't mind me saying so. Thanks, Mr. Marsden. Perhaps management and labor leaders both need to take some of them. Nearly all our trouble lies either in misunderstanding of our economic system or in being provoked by crackpots or worse who have no other idea but to get us at each other's throats. We all need to remember that what we're all after, all real Canadians, is a better living and more happiness for everyone who lives here. Yes, Chief. You call for me? Yes, Danny. 
There's not very often I hand out compliments around here. You know that. I do, Chief. I do for sure. I want to tell you, Danny, this piece of yours called The Triangle of Plenty is one of the best things we ever published. I like the two points you made at the end. One, every Canadian with a dollar should try to put some of it into the capital corner to buy new and better equipment for the labor force. Two, every Canadian with brain or brawn or both should get busy in the labor corner and make that new and better equipment produce more units of everything and produce them cheaper. It's just as simple as that. Just a triangle of human beings behaving humanly in Canadian freedom. This triangle of plenty can take us to an even greater freedom. That's great stuff, Danny. Uh, Chief, you flatter me. And uh, as you know, when a man gets big-handed, his cost of living goes up. Uh, He does things like taking his secretary dancing at the Ritz. The way I look at it... Now, get out of here, Danny Marsden. You'll not get another raise out of me until this series is finished. You're a highway robber. Okay, Chief, okay. Uh, uh, you say Miss McCoy likes dancing at the Ritz? Now, look, Chief, you lay off that girl. She's all mine. Now, calm yourself, Danny. I'm a married man. But now that you're a member of our editorial staff instead of a mere ace reporter, my wife and I thought you and Nellie might be our guests for dinner and dancing tonight. Okay? Okay. On one condition. What's that? Keep it out of the society news. The boys ever found out I was dining with you at the Ritz, they'd expect me to pay back my loan. The second of our two 15-minute shows from our Made in Canada segment is Giselle of Canada, featuring none other than Giselle McKenzie. We present Giselle of Canada, singing and playing her songs in English and French. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? Mesdames et messieurs. Giselle will have as her guests in this series some of the greatest names in the entertainment world. Jack Benny, Ava Gardner, Eddie Cantor, Helen Hayes, Sergei Kuzovitsky, Ozzie and Harriet, Edward Arnold, Bob Hope, Herbert Marshall, Burns and Allen, Ronald Coleman, Joan Fontaine, and Ray Milan. Our first guest is our great, good, gifted, and uh, generous friend, Jack Benny. Well, Mr. Benny doesn't seem interested, Rupert. Jack? Oh, of course he is. Go ahead and sing. It's the story of a very unfortunate man, this man who was arrested down in old Hong Kong. He got 20 years privilege taken away from him when he kicked off Buddha's gone. And now he's robbing the piano just to raise the price of a ticket to the line of the free. His home's in Bristol where they ship the rice But it's really in Tennessee That's what he said I need someone to love me I need somebody to carry me home To San Francisco And bury my body there I need someone to lend me a fifty dollar bill and then 
another song, and then I'll see what's on his mind. All right. There's a guy named Chico Chico, who's a toast of Puerto Rico, especially when it comes to making love. You'll be speaking Puerto Rican, and your heart is sure to weaken when you meet the guy I'm speaking of. of about... Uh, Why so well, thoughtful, Jack? Don't you like Giselle's song? Oh, yes, yes, they're great. But I had a business matter on my mind. Uh, Canada's a very big country, isn't it, Rupert? Canada? Yes, indeed. And a good investment for you? One of the best, Jack. You know, they tell me five billion American dollars are working up there now and sending home dividend right on the nail. Five billion? Do you, uh, do you think there'd be room for any more? Oh, sure. Jack. You don't mean you're thinking of investing money up there. Well, I'm I'm considering it. Great idea, Jack. You couldn't do better. What are you interested in? Well, money. Yes, but how do you want to make it? Now, let's see. Take their newsprint industry. They produce four times as much newsprint as any other country in the world. Then they're the world's largest producers of nickel, platinum, asbestos. You don't say. Sure. And they're right up at the top in copper, zinc. Silver, lead, and gold. Gold, Jack. Think of it. I am. 
Then you take the Athabasca tar sands in Alberta. There's more oil in them than there is in all the rest of the world's fields. 250 billion barrels, they say. Hmm. That's a lot of oil. And all the water power you'd ever need. Jack, you couldn't find a better place in Canada to have your money go to work for you. But yes, I'd like to give it a lot of healthy outdoor exercise in a gold mine or an oil well. Sure. Or put it into a factory. Jack, can't you see your name up in lights over a big factory? The Jack Benny Manufacturing Company in letters seven feet high, ten feet, fifteen. Jack Benny Manufacturing Company. Fifteen feet high. Rupert, it's an idea. I think I'll do it. Good. Uh, now, you take a million or so? A million? I figured on starting a little more conservatively than that. All right, say a hundred thousand. Hmm. Well, ten thousand, no? I was thinking of something really conservative. Say about... Oh... Say about... Well, say it, Jack. Well, sort of like opening a savings account. But, of course, I'd go higher than a dollar. Say a dollar and a half. Oh, say a dollar thirty-five. I see. Well, Jack, you go ahead. They're just as glad to see the small investors as the big ones. Only you better make some inquiries. You don't want to take a wild plunge. No, no. I, I wonder if Giselle could give me any advice. Well, I don't know how she is uh, in these big business deals, Jack. But she certainly must be an admirer of yours. Look at her next song. Mon cœur est un violin. My heart is a violin. Well, that's appropriate. Thank you. 
Mr. Benny liked that all right, Giselle. Look at those eyes. Those blue, blue eyes. Do you think it's safe for me to sing hands across the table? Well, take a chance. to be with us, Giselle of Canada, next week, when our guest will be that sensational young star, Miss Ava Gardner. This is Rupert Lucas saying au revoir. From our Canadians Abroad segment, we have the Vancouver-born actress Anne Rutherford in The Eddie Bracken Show. This is from March 11th, 1945, and it's called Connie's Shorty Costume. The Eddie Bracken Story with Bill Demarest, Anne Rutherford, and Janet Waldo. As any loyal son of Aaron will tell you, every Irishman is descended from the ancient kings. This is the story of one man who sprang from the ancient kings and is still springing in all directions. Yes, this is the story of Eddie Bracken. (laughs) 
In many a thatched cottage in Ireland, they'll tell you the legend of the founder of the clan O'Bracken. No less a personage than Brian O'Bracken himself. A poet, a fighter, and a rogue with the women, O'Bracken invariably dealt gently with the Colleens. Ah, Constance McCushlin, the top of the morning to you. Mr. O'Bracken, would you be after doing me a small favor? Faith, sure, Mistress Monaghan. I'll be after doing you anything your little heart desires. But what'll we be doing after? (laughs) Begora, and there was the rub, for invariably, immediately after, the voice of the elder Monaghan was heard in the land. Oh, Brack, you scalping, get out of here. The parlors are already too crowded for the pigs. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how it was with the founder of the clan O'Bracken. But it's by no means that way with his great-great-grandson, Eddie Bracken. Today, when a girl says, Eddie, will you do me a big favor? Eddie replies, Gosh, sure, Connie. I'd be glad to. See there? He's lost his accent. I'd do it myself, but I've got to meet Otto. Why, of course, Connie. I under... Otto? He's taking me to the tea dance at the mayor's house. Oh, he is. Well, why don't you ask Otto to do whatever it is you want done? Well, if that's the way you feel about it, maybe I will. I'm sure Otto wouldn't quibble over getting me a simple little thing like a pair of shorties. Well, I wouldn't either, but... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Eddie. The mayor's giving this tea dance to make last-minute plans for the dedication of the Victory Monument in City Hall Square. Yes, Connie, I know, but And Otto's on the committee, and I'm to ride on a float as Miss Pinup Girl. And I want to borrow a costume from Toots Latour. Toots Latour? In the musical comedy company. You've seen the posters in front of the Grand Theater, haven't you? Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, sure. Can. <laughs> well, and didn't you notice that one costume? Oh, it's just yummy. It's a three-piece little thing with gold panties and a gold blouse and a crown. Now, I want you to go over and see if she has another one just like but it. But, Connie, now just imagine it. me going into Miss Latour's re- dressing room and saying, Pardon me, Miss Latour, but would you be so kind as to lend me your, sh- your, your sh- shorties? <laughs> I mean, after all, Connie, I... All right, Eddie. I mean, after all, there are limits, I you know. I said all right, Eddie. I'm sure Otto will be glad to go well, and get... Well, that's fine. Me. Let Otto go. Of course, I was going to let you ride on the float with me as the spirit of victory. I know, Connie, but... Uh, you were? <laughs> and you'd have your arms around me all the way from Main Street to the City Hall. <laughs> Boy, 20 blocks. Oh, but I I just couldn't think of asking you to do something you don't want to. Oh, but I do want to, Connie. I want to more than anything in the world, only... Thanks, Eddie. Bring only... the costume over to the house when you get it. Only... I've got to hurry now and meet Otto. Only, what'll I say to Miss Latour? <laughs> Miss Latour? Yeah, kid, what's on your mind? Could I see you for a minute? Sure, take a good look. I hate to bother you in your dressing room like this. What are you, one of the local wolves? Oh, no, Miss Latour. I just wanted to see you about your shortage. That's a new approach. Go on, you intrigue me. 
Well, I, 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 I hardly know where to begin. Well, you had a good start. Uh, well, you see, I, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, have, you have, 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 have you got an extra pair of... Now, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait a minute, kid. Yes, here, here, sit down. Sit down. <laughs> thank you very much, ma'am. Here's a glass of ice water. Oh, thank you. There. Now, do you feel better? Yes, yes ma'am. That's fine. Now, what's on your mind? Miss Latour, I don't know how to say this, but my, 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 my girlfriend, she's, she's going to... Look, go back to first and start over. She's, she's going to be Miss, Miss Pinup Girl. She's what? Miss Pinup Girl, and she wants to borrow a costume just for tonight. Are you kidding? I've had a lot of gags. Oh, but this isn't a gag. Connie's going to ride in the Victory Monument Parade on a float, and I'm going to ride with her. I get to hold my arms around her all the way down Main Street. Ah, some reach. Yes. <laughs> huh? Is this on the level? Oh, gosh, yes. I wouldn't think of asking to borrow your costume, except that... Never that... mind, kid. I got a hunch that riding on that float means a lot to you, doesn't it? Yes, ma'am. More than anything in the world. Okay, kid. If lending you my sh 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 shorties can give you a break with the one and only, you're a cinch. Oh. I got a brand new set right here. Never been unwrapped. Here. Oh, gee. Thanks, Miss Latour. Gee, thanks an awful lot. I'll do the same for you someday. <laughs> that I gotta see. <laughs> And so, fellow citizens, on behalf of our fair city, I extend heartiest greetings when I say, get out of here. How do you do, Mr. Monahan? Did you hear what I said? Uh, yes, Mr. Monahan. I'm leaving only... I wanted to see if Connie was still here. Well, she ain't. Are you going to get out of here, or do I have... I'll, to... I'll go, Mr. Uh, Monahan. Wait a minute. Huh? I... Sit down. Yes, yes, sir. Gee, Mr. Monahan, if you're going to reopen that little matter about me pawning your false teeth... <laughs> Listen. Yes, sir. You are a man whose courage, vision, and devotion to duty has been demonstrated on countless occasions. Oh, you think so? <laughs> Shut up and let me finish. A man whose friendship I have been proud to share for many years. I like you, too. <laughs> I wasn't talking to you. But there's nobody else here. I was rehearsing my speech, Lunkhead. Or don't you read the newspapers? Oh, sure. Isn't it wonderful how Gravel Gertie's gone straight? <laughs> Look, Marble Puss, I'm making a speech of welcome to Colonel Southridge tonight when they dedicate the Victory Monument. Oh, you mean Brass Knuckle Southridge? Cut that out. I'll have no disrespect for Colonel, Colonel Southridge in this house. Well, I, 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 I uh, didn't... Good old Brass Knuckles, the old dog robber. We were together in the 6th Infantry. How do you like my speech? Oh, I think it's wonderful. I wish you really had been saying all those nice things to me. You should live so long. <laughs> Here. What's that, Mr. Monahan? It's a copy of the schedule for tonight's program. Yes, Take sir. it down to the hotel and give it to the colonel. He's waiting for oh, it. Oh, gosh, sure, Mr. Monahan. Only, only, uh... Only what? Only, what'll I do about Connie's sh sh shorties? <laughs> I don't give a darn what you... What did you say? Goodbye, Mr. Monahan. <laughs> Thank you.
Yes, this is Colonel Shortridge speaking. Who? Oh, send him right up. Oh, Billy, Billy, I'm so distressed. Oh, yes, darling, what's wrong? I've lost my girdle. Oh, not your new one. Yes, and I hadn't even unwrapped it. Oh, but it can't be lost. I checked all our luggage at the depot. It's probably still in the check room. Wait. Yes, here's the check for it. Oh, thank goodness. I couldn't possibly wear my new evening gown without it. <laughs> Come in. How do you do? Well, what is it? I'm looking for Brass... Brass... I mean, Colonel Southridge. I'm Colonel Southridge. I'm Eddie Bracken. I'm very pleased to meet you. Well? And Mr. Monahan sent me. He said uh, to give you this schedule for this evening. Oh, oh, thank you, young man. Uh, this is Mrs. Southridge. Oh, how do you do, Mrs. Brass... I, I mean, Mrs. Southridge. <laughs> Hello. Uh, tell me, uh, how is Sergeant Monahan, the old fire eater, the toughest guy in the outfit? How's he getting along? He hasn't changed. <laughs> well, I've got to run oh, along, so... Oh, young man, I wonder if you'd be kind enough to do something for me. Why, yes, of course, Mrs. Southridge. I'll be very glad to. Oh, well, take this check down to the depot and pick up a package. Now, if it's too much trouble... Oh, no, no, Mrs. Southridge. It'll be a pleasure. I'll be back as fast as I can. Yeah, what is it? I want to pick up a package. You got the check? Yes, sir, it's right here. Here it is. Yeah, right here. Okay, that'll be two bits. Huh? I said two bits. Twenty-five cents. A quarter of a dollar. But I haven't got two bits. No two bits? No, sir. No package. Oh, gosh, what, is there a phone here? Yeah, right there in the corner, bud. A pay phone. Thank you. Would you lend me a nickel? <laughs> look, chum, look. I pay 15 bucks a week for this checking concession. I pay myself 30 bucks a week's salary. I charge two bits for every package I check. So far this week, I've checked 180 packages. Exactly 45 bucks. And if you think I'm going to wind up owing myself a nickel so that you can use the phone... Get out! Yes, I, I, I'm going. Eddie, Eddie Bracken. Oh, hello, Barbara. What are you doing down here? I just came down to see if my package from Chicago has come yet. Oh, no, not yet, ma'am. Oh, dear. Are there any more trains today? Well, there's one at 419. Oh, if it doesn't come in, I don't know what I'll do. What's the matter, Barbara? Oh, my costume. I ordered it from Chicago last week, and it isn't here yet. Costume? Yes, I was supposed to ride in a parade tonight on one of the floats. Oh, you too? Yes, as the girl I'd like to celebrate victory with. Oh, it was such a lovely costume. You'd have adored it. Would I? I had my hair washed and a new finger wave and a facial and a manicure and... Oh, Eddie, haven't you any ideas? Yes. You have? What? Could you lend me 25 cents? <laughs> How do you do, Mrs. Southridge? Oh, hello, Eddie. Did you get my package? Yes, ma'am. Here it is. I, I, I had to borrow... Oh, thank you very much. Here's ten cents for your trouble. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Who was it, Maud? Oh, that nice Bracken boy. He brought my girdle. Oh? Oh, thank goodness I've got it. Now I can wear my new... Gold pants! Maud, were you planning to wear those tonight at your age? Certainly not. It's that horrid Bracken boy's fault. 
Oh, do you? And I haven't the slightest idea where to find him. I have. Hello, Monaghan? Connie. I've been looking all over for you. Where in the world have you been? Practically everywhere. Downtown, over to your house, and up in Mrs. Southridge's room at the hotel. Eddie and, Bracken, and... you are the most irresponsible person I've ever met. But, Connie, I got the costume. You did? Uh-huh. Oh, Eddie. I sure didn't. I was never so embarrassed in my life. Oh, Eddie, this is so marvelous of you. Here, here it is. Oh, dear. I'm so excited I can hardly open it. Well, let me help you. Oh, boy, wait till you see it. It'll look wonderful on you. <gasps> a girdle! A girdle? <laughs> oh, no, Connie, it, it, it can't be. Eddie Bracken, is this your idea of a joke? Oh, no, Connie, no. I went to the theater and asked Toots for it, and she gave me a glass of ice water, and your father was making a speech, and Brass Knuckles wanted one of them, and I went to the depot, and the clerk wouldn't let me have it, and Barbara gave me a quarter, and I lost 15 cents on the deal. <laughs> What about this girdle? Oh. Oh. Mrs. Southridge. What about Mrs. Southridge? She's got your costume. You gave another woman my costume? Eddie Bracken, I'll never speak to you again as long as I live. But Connie. Well, if I were Eddie Bracken, I'd wish I weren't.
And now back to Eddie Bracken, who, bowed down with woe, is just entering the front door of the Monaghan residence. How do you do, Mr. Monaghan? Well, come in, Eddie. Oh, thank you. Has Connie come home yet? No, Connie hasn't come home yet. Oh. Come in, Eddie. I am in. All the way in. What for? Come in! Goodbye, Mr. Monaghan. Come in here! Oh, oh not by the necktie, Mr. Monaghan. Take that lame brain. What did you do to my friend? Colonel Southridge, oh, what did you do to him? Oh, well, why, nothing, Mr. Monaghan. I, I, I just said hello. You insulted him. Oh, why, Mr. Monaghan, I, I... And you I... insulted his wife, too. What did you say? What did you do? D- didn't they tell you? No, they didn't tell me, but you're going back up there and face them. Oh, yes, Mr. Monaghan, I, I'll face them. I'll go... But where's Connie? I, I Never don't... mind about Connie. Take your package and get out of here before I... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Huh? What's this? A girdle. A girdle? Ha-ha! Just what I need. <laughs> you need a girdle? I gotta wear my uniform from the last war tonight, and I can't get it buttoned. It must have shrunk. <coughs> Give me that thing. Oh. Oh, no, no Mr. Monaghan, no. Not that. You're, you're not... Oh, no, Mr. Monaghan. Let's see how this thing works. This must be the front. Oh, Mr. Monaghan... If you only realize what you're doing... Hold it while I step into it. But, Mr. Monaghan, you're making a terrible mistake. I, I can't get it past my knees. You, you pull the back and I'll pull the front. Now, pull it. Pull it. I, I am pulling, but I wish you'd listen to reason. There. We got it that far. But, Mr. Monaghan, this girdle belongs to a friend... Come on. Yes. One more pull and we're over the top. <laughs> now all together. One, two, uh, three. Oh. oh, it ripped. Oh, the girdle, it ripped. Oh, what'll Mr. Southridge say? Well, it couldn't have been much of a girl anyhow because... What will who say? Mrs. Southridge, the colonel's wife. Was that her girdle? I tried to tell you that, Mr. Monaghan, but you... You tried to tell me? Yes, sir, I... I... You helped me put it on, didn't you? Yes, sir, but... And you brought it here? Yes, sir, but I... Why, you... Oh, you're not by the necktie again. How do you do, Colonel Southridge? Come in, Mr. Bracken. I can't stay but a minute. I, I, I came over to bring your wife's girdle. Oh, so you had it all the time? Yes, sir. I... Young man, do you know that you've caused my wife a great deal of worry? I'm sorry. I guess my mind was on something else. That uh, gold costume? Yes, sir. Well, I think I understand, son. Thanks for bringing up the girdle, and uh, here's your costume back. Oh, gee. Thank you, Colonel. Thank you very much. I guess I'd better go. Goodbye. Hmm. Maud. Maud. Yes, dear. Here's your girdle. Oh. Eddie Bracken just brought it. Oh, thank goodness. We won't have to miss the ceremony. Oh. Oh. Huh? Oh. I've never been so insulted in my life. For heaven's sake, now what's the matter? This girdle has been vulcanized. <laughs> Stamped right there on the patch. What? 
genuine truck rubber. <laughs> Connie. Oh, Connie. Eddie, I... I told you I'd never speak to you again as long as I live. But, Connie, this time I've really got the costume. You see, I went over to your house and your father wasn't there and... and he... Eddie Bracken, I'm sure I'm not interested in where you've been or what you've been doing. But it may interest you to know that I'm not going to ride in the parade as Miss Pinup Girl. You're not? Connie. Otto's sister very generously loaned me her white buckskin cowgirl costume. And I'm riding on the first float in the parade as Miss... Spirit of the Pioneers. Then you won't need this gold costume? No, and I won't need you. Oh. Because you know who's going to hold me in his arms as the spirit of the conquering West? Otto. Yes, Otto. Well, maybe I can walk along beside... Otto! Hello, Barbara. Hello, Eddie. Here's the ten cents. It's part of... What's the matter, Barbara? Oh, Eddie, I'm so miserable. Me too. <laughs> Connie? Uh-huh. And Otto. What's your trouble? No costume? Uh-huh. It didn't come. Ah. Oh, that's too bad, Barbara. <laughs> Wish there was something I could do. <laughs> That's sweet of you, Eddie, but there's not another costume to be found anywhere. I guess not. Well, here's your dime. Thanks. Bye, Barbara. Bye, Eddie. Barbara. What's the matter, Eddie? Barbara, you're going to ride in that parade, and you're going to have the swellest costume of anybody in it. Eddie, what do you mean? How can I? Wait a minute, old boy. Boy, you're going to love this. There. Eddie, a complete gold costume. Uh-huh. Oh, it's even nicer than the one I ordered. Oh, Eddie, is it really for me? It sure is, if you want it. Oh, Eddie, Eddie, darling, you're so wonderful. You're so wonderful. Ah, uh, I'm not so wonderful, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, Barbara, I'm, I'm sure glad everything turned out all right. For you. Which just goes to show that no matter how much trouble you have, there comes a time when it can't get any worse. Or can it? Well, we'll find out in a moment.
Hello? Hello, Eddie. This is Connie. Oh. I'm speaking to you again. Well, I'm not listening. <laughs> but I'm not mad anymore. Well, I am. But, Eddie, I want you to ride on the float with me. You mean you broke your date with Otto? Well, in a way. You see, Otto's allergic to horses. And he's got hay fever, and we can't have him sneezing all the way down Main Street, can we? Well, I can. Besides, I, I, uh, I haven't got a costume. But, Eddie, I have Otto's costume right here. If you'll hurry over, you'll just have time to change and get to the parade. Well, I'll have to think it over. Well, Eddie? Hold the front door open. I'm, I'll be coming fast. <laughs> Here it is. Here's my coat. Oh, boy, am I lucky. Come on, Eddie, let's go. Huh? Oh. You're going to ride in a parade. Yeah, I know. Isn't it wonderful? Why, Mr. Monaghan, why are you dressed like a cowboy? Where's your uniform? How can I wear a uniform that's shrunk? I got to ride on the float, and it's the spirit of law and order. Oh, that's nice. I'm riding with Connie as the spirit of the conquering West. Oh, no, you're not. You're riding with me as a horse thief. <laughs> You're going to be hanged all the way to the city hall. Eddie Bracken story is produced by Man Holliner. Music composed and conducted by Lee Harleen. Mr. Monahan is played by Bill Demarest, Connie by Ann Rutherford, Barbara by Janet Waldo, the baggage clerk by Wally Mayer, Toots Latour by Kathy Lewis, Mrs. Southridge by Elvia Allman, Colonel Southridge by Will Wright. Your narrator, Jim Bannon. is the Armed Forces Radio Service. that was a busy show this week. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you'll be able to join me next time. Until then, bye for now. (laughs) 
If you've enjoyed the shows you've heard during the past hour, be sure to tune in again next week, same time, same station, when once again, we'll listen to programs that are remembered today thanks to the involvement of Canadians in old-time radio. This is Devin Wilkins speaking.